0: Hello everyone, this is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number eight. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode is all about attachment across the lifespan. My interview guest today is Michelle Robison, a licensed clinical social worker and the executive director of a long-term care facility located in Southern California. Michelle is going to share with us tips and lessons she's learned over a career of working with a wide variety of families from an attachment-based perspective. Michelle has worked in two different residential settings. The first setting was one that worked with children between the ages of 8 and 21, and now she currently works in a residential setting working with elderly adults all the way up to the age 103. And so I hope you enjoy our conversation here today regarding attachment across the lifespan. All right. So on the Connected Family Podcast today, we have Michelle Robison. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us all the way from sunny Southern California. I really appreciate you being here.
1: I'm really happy to be here, Mark. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah, no problem. So I should say... As we begin, I have to I have to drop the bomb, which I think is that you're actually my sister. Yes, your older <laughs> sister. My older and smarter and wiser. Yes,
1: wiser, much wiser.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as we begin, um, I would just ask that you would tell our, our listeners who you are, your what you do, some of your experience across your career, and how it would be relevant for them.
1: Okay, great. Well, um, a little bit about myself. I'm a... Currently, the executive director at a um, continuous care retirement community here in Southern California, which is um, uh, helps the elderly population uh, have housing and uh, medical care, um, basically a nursing home, senior living, um, from independent living all the way up through um, end of life. So I've been doing that now. Um, in the capacity as executive director for a year, um, but in this uh, facility and in this population for the last four years. Um, Prior to that, I worked as a uh, social worker clinician uh, for a place uh, who help um, adolescents um, who are responding to trauma, who have attachment difficulties um, in a residential setting. So again, working with people 24 hours a day. Um, So my capacity there was um, working with different interventions, helping uh, supervisors, working with families, um, you know, to try to build relationships, to try to help build capacity for relationships and um, essentially trying to bring children home um, because that's where everybody wants them. People don't Mm -hmm. want to send their children a way to live in a residential treatment program, they want their child home. So that's essentially what our goal was there. Um, And so did that for 16 years. So um, really have been working now um, across the whole continuum of personhood, um, which has also expanded my um, insights and horizons as it relates to working with families, working with children as young as two, now working with um, adults as old as 103 um, and the interesting thing there is that no matter what the age you're always working with a family system mm-hmm. as children you're working with the parents and you're working with the siblings and with um, adults and the senior population you're working with their children uh, which and and which of course is multiple siblings in many cases um, mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is has been a fascinating um, insight to realize and see how um, things mirror each other, so to speak. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Cool. So you've worked with families all across the lifespan uh, in residential settings. Yes. Interestingly, all, all across the lifespan, and you've seen how working with families in that broad context actually mirrors each other you're saying so there's similarities yes I think is what you're saying
1: yes so similarities I would say one of the things that I really um enter into my understanding is that we all need a safe haven and a secure base John Bowlby speaks of that and regardless of the age uh, we all need that comfort in knowing that people matter, that we matter to people, um, that people care about us, that um, we need to be nurtured, we need to be talked to, we need to be um, engaged, we need to be challenged. You know, all of those things that we need in order to be successful in our relationships is needed, regardless as if you're newly born or if you are someone who is um, entering into, you know, the last um, moments of their life. We all need to know that someone is near to us and, and that we have someone to rely on. And what a comfort knowing that um, and understanding how important that, uh, th- that issue is. And especially with my work now um, with residents who have dementia, Um, Really helping staff members learn the importance of connecting and that you're doing more than just tasks, that you're actually um, creating home and creating family, and um, teaching staff members about entering into those relationships has really been an enjoyable part of this part of my career.
0: Yeah. And so it sounds like so that need for a secure base and a safe haven goes across the lifespan, but might have different purposes or different ways of doing that. Sure. If you're working with kids or if you're working with
1: yes. yes, certainly. So, you know, in working with kids, I think some of the things that I would say that are the most important in really thinking about is that as clinicians, we enter in and we have these fantastic treatment plans and goals and we know, you know, the interventions that are going to work to help bring people there. Um, and being a parent myself, I know that, um, I've learned a lot along the way growing up with my kids and, and realizing that, you know, there's phases and stages that they go through and as well as, as do I. Um, but as, as a clinician, I think we have to remember to give people something that they can sustain, you know, in their life. So if you're going to your clinician or you're going to your therapist and, um, they, um, give you 10 goals that you have to achieve on a daily basis, that is not sustainable. We need to be identifying one thing that you can do differently to enhance the dance, to change the dance, to improve the relationship with you and your child. I think that's one of the most important lessons that I have learned and that I try to share with with the clinicians and the people that I'm working with is that don't make it too big, don't make it too complicated, Keep it simple because they're not going to be able to do it. Oftentimes, people who are coming for therapy are in crisis. They want to do things better. They don't need, you know, to have five different things that they need to do in order to make it better. They just need one thing they can go home and practice and report back if they did it or not. And that's one one step every every day in the right direction. That's one big key. I think I would learn.
0: Yeah. So if you're a listening and you're thinking about you have this huge goal or huge accomplishment that you're trying to make, just focusing on one really small thing and really focusing on that. And it can actually have a really significant impact and make lo- really big changes, even though it's a small thing, if, if it can be sustained.
1: Yes, if it can be sustained. And I think that When families are in crisis, they want us as therapists to fix it. And, you know, the first lesson is of course, we can't fix it, but we can walk alongside you in it. We can help you break it down so that we can help you identify the things that you can do to change. And recognizing that when we're looking to change, we can only change ourselves. We can't make our kids change. I can't make the families of the residents change. I can't make residents who have dementia change. I can only change myself. And so really holding on to that and looking inside and within is an important um, task to help parents really realize. And that's important for clinicians to realize, too. Yeah. You know, as we all know, we need to be doing our own work. We need to be addressing our own issues because Otherwise, those issues come out, you know, in our work with our families. And so um, I think as a parent, um, realizing that, you know, there are things that are going to come up that I need to be dealing with in my own um, work, so to speak, um, and realizing that, um, in that in my process, I'll be able to um, help. Um, the families go to those places. My philosophy, always what I say as clinical supervisor, you can't take them anywhere you can't go. Mm. So I cannot help a family that I, I can't help a family get anywhere I cannot go. So if I can't deal with my anger or if I can't deal with my sad, there is no way I'm gonna be able to help anyone else deal with that. And that's really important as parents are looking for clinicians. That you're looking for people who are humble and who are really open to um, not telling and spilling their guts. That's not what I'm looking for. Just, you know, that they're really there to to hear you and um, walk alongside, not just, you know, give you the this is what you need to do. Kind
0: right. Of right. So when you're looking for hope you're, or help, you're looking for someone who seems to have done their work. Right. on their own and be a whole person and right. be pretty mature themselves, right. but then also know that they might be challenging you as a parent to be right. doing right. some of that same that's work and true. growing as an individual, too. That's
1: very, true.
0: That's that's very always, true. As a parent myself, I know that always get, that's always a little bit the scary and difficult
1: part. Oh, of course. I mean, especially as, you know, our kids are growing up and becoming teenagers, you know, I mean, that is... Um, you know, certainly, and we no longer have the same level of, um, uh, what's the word control influence. <laughs> influence, um, on, on choices that our kids make, you know, um, we can, uh, hope that the work that we've done with our kids or the way that we've parented, um, prior to that is going to uh, sustain itself, so to speak. But, you know, we, we essentially are not responsible for what our kids do kids' choices are, and so that's, you know, something that we do have to remember as parents. Um, you know, we're, we're always, there's always so many sides of us in, in, the, in the office, you know, and that's something we always have to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. I always say to parents, I don't know if this is, fits within your perspective or not, but no matter what happens, particularly moving through the teenage years, no matter what happens, no matter how far off the deep end they go in behaviors or whatever, at the end of the day, what you want with them is you want relationship, right. and if in ten years after the teenage years you can come back and get together with them and and look back on the teenage years and and have maintained relationship, that would be success in some, yes. some ways.
1: And you know, I would say that the the um, one thing that I've learned is that in order to maintain that relationship, sometimes I have to provide high levels of acceptance. Now, acceptance is not necessarily condoning. It doesn't mean I'm condoning behavior. And I think that sometimes people don't understand there's a difference. And as parents, there is truly a difference between accepting your child's behavior and condoning their behavior. And I've gotten into some difficult conversations with people about that. Um, But I guess at the end of the day, my goal, as you've mentioned, is to maintain that relationship and help walk that child through it. And so if you know, my, uh, my acceptance of, of what's happening in that per- current moment allows the conversations to continue, allows the dialogue to continue. It doesn't shut it off. It doesn't put them into a sense of, well, I guess I don't have anyone to talk to about this. It, it continues the dialogue so that when the child comes to the point that they're able to really see that there were, if there are consequences to their behavior and able to move through that, they can later say to you, "Hmm, you know, I know that you've really, you're really there for me. I know that you've really got my back on that. And, and I can say, you know, I don't agree, as I said, with those decisions, but I'm glad that we're on this end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can speak to that from experience. So it, it, it really, truly has allowed the relationship with my now older child entering she's 22 now entering you know adulthood that you know we've walked through some patches together which I haven't always been so excited about Um, Mm -hmm. but we're moving on the other end of that and she's becoming the adult that I would hope she would be so Mm -hmm. and that's because of it Mm -hmm. I truly believe that's because of that whole concept of accepting while not condoning, but accepting where she's at right now and walking into it with her.
0: Yeah, and what an exciting place to be as a parent in many ways.
1: Oh, it's very exciting. It's a relief to know that it actually, the theory does work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, because that's so much of what we base our work on, right, is yeah, theory, yeah. and we have to trust the process. That's what we as clinicians are always telling our parents, trust the process. And so this brief, you know, uh, five-year, four-year, you know, experience that I've had with one child, you know, and it's going to look different for every kid, but has really proven that, you know, if I follow my own preach, preaching and my own, um, I, uh, I, I, you know, ideas about um, theoretical stances, that, um, you know, things are moving in the right direction. And is she always perfect? Absolutely not. But that's not what I expect from her. You know, Mm -hmm. I expect, I expect, um, you know, relationship, I expect communication. So that's my goal, you know, so that now I can take that into my work with families and not that I would be speaking about all of that necessarily, but that, you know, um, I have some confidence now that, um, what, what we are um, talking about, that there is hope, you know, in, in difficult situations and circumstances. And, you know, we're in it together when we're, when we're clinician and family and, and you do need to find support as a parent, you know, mm-hmm. um, so many times, so many of the parents that I worked with were so isolated, you know, that was another one of those challenges, especially if they had children who are acting out and making a scene and especially in public or, you know, family members, well-meaning, you know, would say, what are you doing wrong? You know, what's, what's wrong? What's the situation? And, you know, parents don't always feel like there's a safe place to talk about, you know, what is truly going on. We have to keep, you know, keep everything, you know, in check so that it looks, looks right. Mm -hmm. Especially with social media nowadays, you know, I mean, just, you know, everybody's kids look so perfect. And how do you get your kids to sit still for a picture? You know, I'm just like, Really, because my kids, you know, they're looking this way and that way. But you know, I think as you've as you've said, and I, I I like to think too. The bottom line is, we need to be authentic to who we are, you know. And I think as um, a person in 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 therapy, or a person coming to to you for therapy, you know, they want to know that you are an authentic person, so that they can truly be their authentic self. You're going to accept them for who they are, you know pictures looking, all, all of the crazy pictures and, and, and everything, you know, right. and, um, to give them hope, um, and, and help them, you know, find their, their own unique path.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, the uh, you know, working with the younger side of the age spectrum and thinking about what parents can, uh, be thinking for their younger kids or adolescents. Those same parents who are living with adolescents and young kids might also be caring for their, elderly parents at the end of their life. I think we, you know, yes. we're going to be there before we know it
1: Exactly.
0: Um, with either of our sets of parents. And so how does that apply in that type of a situation?
1: You know, it's really challenging because I've been there with my in-laws, you know, my in-laws are both passed away. And so I was a young, a uh, younger parent, you know, in my early, mid thirties, early forties, and was dealing with, um, issues with the the in-laws. And so it's, it is a real challenge. And I think that is an excellent um, thing to always check out, you know, that these parents may not just be dealing with their children, child issues. There may be a lot of other issues that don't even come to the surface. And so getting a really good history on people is super important so that we understand all of the challenges that are coming up. Um, And then, you know, when parents become ill, um, or have you know needs that call you to their home or require them to be in a in a in a facility like the one I'm working at now, is then we have lots of um, interactions with our siblings, and so depending on how the relationships were you know in early childhood or mid adulthood, um, it can significantly impact you know how things are going to go um, for these last years with with your um, your parents. Um, you know, I've had many situations recently now with really good uh, re- sibling relationships um, that have a few bumps in the road. Um, I've had some some difficulties, particularly with family members who have um, a parent who has dementia, uh, where a, a sibling is now the power of attorney um, or a conservator, and there's not agreement about how to handle mom or dad. And so there becomes lots of side taking and we in fact see people who are 50s you know 60s reverting back to early behaviors early sibling rivalries Mm. early 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 ways of relating um because mom and dad aren't there to to uh tell them to stop it so Mm. to speak because they're now having to work out their um relationships. And so if there hasn't been a lot of uh, repair, or if there hasn't been a lot of communication, I think it's really challenging to to do that successfully. And so I've had to refer families to family therapy, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I'm, I don't try to be their therapist in the capacity that I am now. I certainly listen, but, you know, the, the challenges that come along with sibling issues related to parents who have dementia is very, very significant um, and requires a lot of support uh, for these families. So, you know, the thing is, that's so interesting working across the lifespan is that at the end of the day, they're all people and all people have behaviors and all people have behaviors that need some sort of assistance or intervention. And so, regardless of the population I'm working in, I found that it all boils back down to relationships, to attachment, to connections. How do we connect? How do we not connect? How does this this, um, way that I'm talking to you right now trigger something that might've happened when we were kids? Um, You know, it's it's a very fascinating um, journey that I'm on. And when I first thought about even coming in, and moving uh, uh, into this population of people, I wasn't sure. But at the end of the day, I go back to what Bowlby says: is we all need a safe haven and a secure base. And so, I was working in the you know in a very um, vulnerable population with children, and now I'm working in a very vulnerable population with the with adults. And I feel the same principles apply, and I'm happy to be able to. Impart some of that experience to people in this um, in this in this population because this is a very highly medical field, um, and so we're only now seeing the importance of, imp- of bringing in you know trauma informed understanding, um, bringing in you know how purpo- how purposeful relationships can be, and so I'm happy to be able to be a part of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly interesting in that need for secure base, safe haven throughout the course of life. I was, as you were talking, I was even thinking, you know, in the world of working with the elderly where you are now, it's almost like roles are reversed. The children who once saw their parents as the secure base and safe haven are now in some ways acting as the secure base and safe haven for their parents. Is that what happens?
1: Yes, that's what happens. And I mean, it's, it's, the roles are very reversed and children talk about how challenging that is because who's their safe haven and secure base, probably a spouse, but if there isn't a spouse or if there isn't a significant other, or there isn't a a true support network around them, they're often left, to flounder and that becomes really super challenging. Um, and so, um, role, roles are very reversed. Um, and it makes, it makes for a very stressful time. So they are in crisis just as they, as, you know, many parents are with young children or adolescents, they're in crisis. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, it hasn't gotten as, wide, um, an understanding, I think, you know, I, I I do think that people talk about it and discuss it, but, you know, to really now know that dementia, the, the number of people that are going to be having dementia, and it's, it's truly, uh, significant in those who have parents who have dementia, because, you know, the parents no longer have the capacity to behave in the way they once did. So they're, personalities are changing their behaviors are changing so the adult children have to figure out how to navigate that and that's a really new new thing for them to try to figure out you know if a parent was always you know pretty in charge and running the show and saying this is what we're going to do and now they're not doing that anymore, anymore kids are like uh
0: who does uh, that now who siblings? does that now
1: going right. the one and that's and probably we, when
0: some of that conflict right yes
1: right. Yeah. and so we have to say one of you guys needs to decide to stand up oh well well we're we can't do that and it's like one of one of you guys needs can you tell us one of you guys needs <laughs> to stand up and so you know that throws that throws them into a whole new role which then brings on you know uh, additional um, challenges, you know, with that, and how they see themselves, and you know, loss of their parent, and I mean, there's oh, there's just a lot, you know. Yeah. There, there truly is just, just a lot.
0: And so, really, as thinking about it, you had the opportunity to walk parents through this crisis stage of their life with you know children and adolescents when you worked in residential treatment there, mm-hmm. and now you're doing really in many ways the exact same thing walking families through, again, a crisis situation. What do you think? So it's almost like how do we help families who are in both of those stages to think about, you know, maybe there's three takeaways or there's three or a small number of things that, you know, whether they're in either of those spots would be applicable to how do I prepare, how do I walk through this or how do I prepare myself for this? Any thoughts about that?
1: Um. Well, I think one of the first things is to find support for yourself. Um, Being isolated is not helpful at all. And so many of these people are isolated on either side of the spectrum. Um, Maybe because, you know, and and with the elderly, it could be environmentally because siblings live all over different parts of the country. It could be... um, you know, because of strained relationships. So finding that sibling, you know, support is difficult. Um, it could be because people have passed on. Um, with the children, we already talked about how easily it is to be isolated from one's peer group when kids mm-hmm. are having struggles and being difficult. So finding true support, you know, um, is probably one of the most important things. Um, I think also um, really finding uh, People are learning how to listen. Really, um, that's one of the things I think that I, as a parent, struggle to do um, sometimes. And so I'm quick to, even though I focus on being accepting, as I talked about, um, you know, really learning how to do that, learning the difference between acceptance and condoning, learning to recognize what your own buttons are going to be, because Lord knows my buttons get pushed all the time. I am by far not a perfect parent. But I really try to, at the end of the day, take a look back and say, okay, what what part of this do I need to own and how do I apologize for my mistakes? Um, And so I think that's an important Mm -hmm. lesson to be teaching our kids, but also entering into relationships with our siblings. You know, it can really help to diffuse a situation or, you know, uh, rather than let that same dance continue, how can I move forward in, um, changing this dance. Mm -hmm. So that would be, um, another thing. Um, I think, oh, there's so many other things. I think just at the, at the end of the day, just recognizing that you don't have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to be good enough. Um, and figuring out what good enough is, I think with social media, as we talked about, there's this not just social media, but everything that's portrayed everywhere is that there's Mm -hmm. this ideal way that we should be. And we're comparing ourselves constantly to that. And I always accuse my daughter, my middle daughter, who's 18 of thinking her life is in the movies. You know, that's what she has to compare herself to. So she does
0: live near uh, LA, you know, she
1: does live in LA. And so, (laughs) but she truly does think, well, that's not how graduations are, or that's not how proms are. And it's like, what are you living in the movies? And I think we as, we're, we as adults are comparing ourselves constantly. And so um, really recognizing that, you know, good enough is OK. It doesn't have to be perfect every single time. And if you're willing to take a step back, reflect on it and own your stuff and enter in and move forward, you know, in a more positive way and let some of the old baggage go, you're going to get through it. And you're going to get through it if you have supportive people around you. So I think that would be some of my take homes, you know, from the things that I've learned that, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you need to be connected, right? You need to be connected. You need to find connections, regardless of where you are, you have to find people you can talk to. And as an introvert, okay, Mm ambivert, you know, sometimes I just don't want to do that. But I have to be intentional, you know, and so I think that's another thing is finding ways to be intentional in your relationships, children, friends, church, work, you know, saying yes to things, saying no to things so that you can make sure that you are, you know, available in the ways that you need to be.
0: Yeah, awesome. So finding support, learning how to listen, and the fact that you don't have to be good, you don't have to be perfect, just good enough, which goes back to that idea of authenticity that we talked about earlier on. So I am so thankful for having this conversation with you, and that you are willing to uh, talk with me. It's been awesome, and I think it's going to be really valuable for maybe the five people or so who are going to listen to this. <laughs> we'll see, right? We'll
1: see. be a couple. We'll see, maybe a couple. Uh, yeah. Maybe a couple. But um,
0: yeah. it's been fun either way, just to learn and listen to it. So yeah,
1: I love talking with you, Mark.
0: Yeah. Have a great day.
1: Okay. Talk to you later. Yep.
0: Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about attachment across the lifespan, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources, discussion regarding episode topics, and support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling and our website at ConnectionsQuincy.com.